Parenting is a juggling act at the best of times. Mix in a career and it can throw up all kinds of challenges. In season two of our video and podcast series, Life in Digital, we are focusing on the superstars that are choosing to juggle parenthood and their career. From starting a business with a young family, supporting parents in returning to work, to the highs and lows of being a single parent, we are speaking to leaders in the digital sector about their experiences and how they navigate life in digital and raising their family. Today, I'm proud to be joined by Ete Davies, CEO of Engine. He shares how we can learn from the parents who maintain high-performing roles. As someone who has been a single parent whilst managing his career into MD and CEO positions, Ete understands how important it is to listen and accommodate the lives of the people you employ. Building high-performing, resilient teams, it starts with trust. I'm Ete Davies, the CEO of Engine UK's creative division. Um, Engine is the, I think, the UK's biggest PR, communications, brand marketing and management, independent management consultancy business. I've been in the advertising marketing industry for about 17 years, uh, working at digital agencies, above line agencies on brand campaigns, business transformation events and experiences. Um, across a range of sectors with, you know, brands globally and, and also based in the UK, everything from FMCG to finance to automotive and travel and leisure. Um, been at Engine for just over a year now, <laughs> a very uh, interesting year. year. <laughs> yeah. Um, prior to Engine, I was the MD of Analog Folk uh, for several years and, and helped grow and scale that ed- agency. And you know, before that was at um, AKQA, where I had a global head of delivery role, um, managing uh, offices and teams uh, internationally. Um, started out my career as a project manager. And so my core strength has always been about um, leading diverse, multi-skilled teams to solve complex problems uh, for our clients with innovative ideas. Um, and as I've moved into leadership, that that core really has become part of my leadership focus is how do you go from leading teams to creating environments that enable those teams to to to, to flourish and how you create inclusive and high performing cultures which I think mm-hmm. is very relevant to this conversation which ultimately is all about how do you sustain talent as people's life changes and how things progress um for a, actually for a big bulk of my uh career I was a uh, single parent like main carer for my son Levi he's 12 but from the point he was about five to now um, I was managing my own career progression and everything that came with it as well as uh, being the you know having the he's my sort of main uh, carer and you know, he's a uh, dependent on me um, so balancing that juggling act um, and the challenges and the sort of stresses and the insights that come with that I think is also particularly uh, relevant for caregivers uh, you know uh, parents as well um, uh, in our industry and and culturally how we need to shift uh, in our industry and then outside of the day-to-day uh, day job with Engine I'm also the co-founder of um, We Are Stripes and Culture Heroes and both of those are initiatives whose mission is to create opportunities for Black, Asian and minority ethnic talent across the creative industries. Um, I'm also uh, on the steering um, uh, groups for She Says and uh, Creative Equals 
as well as do mentoring for both of those organizations and Bloom as well. Doing it all. <laughs> Try, trying to, trying to. I mean, I'm I'm lucky with some of it in that I've got a, a good team of people and a lot of it comes down to your support network, you know, yeah. um, whether outside of work or within it, you know, if you've got the right people to work with, you can do a lot. Mm. And talk to me a little bit more about where you are in your career when you had Levi. Um, mm. I know on our call previously you talked about you made a lateral move and you've mentioned that you started in project mm. management. Talk to me about that that kind of period for you. Yeah, so I mean I was actually um, I guess comparatively young when I had Levi. I was 27 um, when yeah. Levi was born and I'd just, um, I'd just gone into actually my first uh, I guess you could describe it like leadership project management role. So I'd been a senior PM for a while. Um, and this was um, a role going to an agency called Six & Co, working with a, a friend of mine who was head of project management operations. And, you know, she brought me in to mentor some of the junior people, lead on a few of the key accounts there, but also like, like help put processes in place to uh, get the business a bit more operational because it was a startup. So it's a, a big task. Uh, moving into uh, a role where there's sort of really only two of us building a function. So it's a relatively senior role with a lot of spotlight on it from a leadership point of view. And I'd just become a father um, at that point. And so getting used to, um, you know, that that the time that you need to focus to be a, a parent, as well as trying to really establish your own career and your own reputation, because that role was an opportunity that you know, has actually made the rest of my career journey, the experience uh, I had in it and the profile that it gave me. Um, uh, and, you know, after time I, I left and I moved to AKQA and it was when I was at AKQA actually doing the the, sort of the global role, uh, which was managing teams um, internationally in lots of different uh, offices, um, was when I ended up being in a situation where I was taking the primary care mm. of, of Levi. And I had... Um, you know, prior to that, with that role, I'd been traveling quite a bit, spending a lot of time in in, in Asia. And during that process, the sort of the time away from home, one, I was I was just missing out on time with, with Levi, and I could feel that gap between us. And obviously, some things are more important than, um, you know, jet setting around the world or building your career in a particular path. And so I, I wanted something that would keep me a bit more centered at home, uh, but also something that wouldn't stop my future progression because you know ultimately part of the reason I'm working isn't just for my own self-fulfillment it's you know to build a future for him uh, yeah. in a number of ways and so um the logical move to do that was to become um, a to sort of move into um more business leader strategic business leadership so MD CEO uh, a bit of an untrodden path because most people in our industry that follow that career path come from a client service account management background or they come from a strategy background I think that's traditionally uh been the case but um for me coming from a project managed operation background there are very few of us that have navigated that switch mm -hmm. um so during the time of that happening um I believe I was starting primary school and he had a few problems sort of settling because there was just a lot of disruption going on in our in our lives at that time and so having to get him settled in uh, in school because we we'd moved as well and then um moving 
trying to navigate my career in a different direction um, and, and facing the challenges of people saying, well, you don't come, you haven't come from the sort of traditional routes that we would have to get in there. So I had to fight that battle around perception. Um, I also had to learn stuff. I had to go and, you know, uh, I did a lot of self-educating during that time and, and sort of took on projects both within AKQA but outside of it to build my uh, transferable leadership skills um, and um, re remodel myself. But it was, um, yeah, it was tough. It was a real strain on time, actually. I think it's um, it, it was quite, a, as you can imagine, like emotionally and intellectually quite a, a draining time, Re really sort of pushed me and tested me during that period. Were you given support? Was there a stigma to the fact that you were the primary caregiver at that time and trying to move mm. into that more MD, C CEO leadership role? Yeah, I think there was, um, so there was a, a couple of things. With, with AKQA, there, there wasn't the opportunity, uh, I think, in terms of uh, available roles. So I was already in a position where I had to look I was you know, thinking, do I have to look elsewhere to do this? And a lot of the MDs and the leads that we have, you know, they've, they've come through that route, as I said before, like groomed through um, account management and, and uh, strategy. So that was already a bit of a challenge. And, um, you know, AKQA, to be fair, actually, my, and one area that I was very fortunate in going back to support networks, my direct bosses there were like, uh, they were generally quite supportive, actually. I had two... Um, we had two sort of client partner leads and they they understood the need for flexibility when I was, you know, sort of the main carer and the need for the flexibility around time. And uh, I, I remember actually a distinct conversation with one of them where um, I actually was starting to feel a bit overwhelmed with everything that was going on. And I'd, I'd gone back to the business and said, look, to be fair, I want to move to a uh, flexible working contract and I'll sort of take a pay cut, but I need to start doing maybe three or four days a week. Um, and my boss at the time, Giles, he, he was basically like, just don't do that. We'll work around you for the flexibility, but wow, you, need yeah. the you need the money, do you know what I mean? So it's like, look, it's just, we just keep it as an agreement. If you're struggling, tell us, but don't, um, don't reduce your days and then actually affect your salary because you are, you are the main source of income for your son. So I, I, I appreciated that, but for, the career growth and progression, there was the limits there. And there was a bit of a challenge around, well, why, you know, why make the, you know, kind of why make the switch? Because um, there's been a level of kind of accommodating things. Can you take that switch on whilst also caring for for Levi? But never in a never in a negative way. It was more, I think it was out of good interest to kind of just say, like, we don't are you putting additional stress on yourself? And where did that drive come from? You mentioned that you wanted to support mm. your family, but it sounds like you weren't doing that. There was a role there that could have supported you guys. What mm. what drove you to think, actually, I want to be part of the decision making, yeah. be in that leadership role and take those extra steps? Yeah, it's kind of um, uh, a lot of that is sort of rooted in upbringing and, and you know, mm -hmm. kind of uh, family. I think my um, my mum was uh, uh pretty much the main carer and the breadwinner for a lot of our lives you know my, my dad wasn't uh, around for a number of reasons and so she um you know she's a doctor and she progressed her career but you know also raised uh you know three kids and we we, we did all right so I always had that as a role model um yeah. but the other thing that she 
did and, and still does is she's very active in in the community you know either through mentoring or sort of supporting um you know young people getting ahead uh, or families um getting ahead so that that um sense of uh community responsibility and uh sort of altruism was imprinted and baked into like all of us actually a very very young age and so um you know when i got to the point actually it was a senior established virology said in in, in akqa but i actually realized that going into more of that visible leadership role isn't just important for my own career but it's also important um to drive the agenda around uh, inclusion and yeah. you know representation and diversity for people from you know my own community or all underrepresented groups actually um because once you're in a position where you can influence decision making and direction of a business but also our industry and you can have that platform you know you can really shape change and and so that was um that that was also the other thing that was motivating me and that you know i needed to um uh do something for others because I made my way through experienced some challenges and I just kept thinking well actually you know we need more representation in, in the business and I can only do that if I get to a point where I can actually start to influence things. And when was that when did you make that move when did that opportunity come about and what was your life like then? Yeah so um when uh, I made that move it it, it was fortune really I think you know you can I I'm a firm believer that like you can prepare yourself as much as you can but any, any people only get somewhere because they got a break someone's helped them out or you know like there's there's been they've been lucky or the sort of right place at the right time I think the whole self-made narrative I think I can understand why people push it but like honestly we've all got somewhere because some opportunity happened and, and more yeah. than often enough someone else has been able to help you create that opportunity um and so there was a uh there was a friend of mine who was a recruiter and he'd gone over to analog folk um they were looking for an md um that matched my i guess my set of skills and experience which was helping uh they were a start pretty much like a startup at the time i joined and sort of helping them go on that journey to become a scale-up, transform service offering and proposition and, and, you know, drive growth and so on. And uh, he, he reached out to me and said, I, I know you've been looking for this, for this role. It's at this uh, agency, it's a bit smaller, but they're on a good journey. The culture is, you know, um, is really important there. And, you know, I am at the time, I guess, where I was, was I was a little bit disheartened because as yeah. I've been trying to make that career switch, balancing um the sort of the starting of school and particularly when Levi was in in, in primary schools I'm sure all carers with children of that age is that there is a lot of involvement and dependency that you have to have in the school at that time just helping them get settled things like parents evenings like keeping in, in regular contact um both with the school um uh, and also with Levi and during that period of time, we we thought that he might have um he might be on the um uh, autistic spectrum. So he was wow. going through a range of assessments um yeah. during that that sort of uh, period of time. And so there was I was I where where I was to so going back to your point around uh, my headspace. Um, 
feeling quite stressed and a bit disheartened and just wondering actually you know is, is this is this the right thing or should I just pick something kind of safer and actually accept sacrificing my own progression to you know manage um everything that's going on and just you know um is, is it too much that I'm kind of taking on but I, I met the founders of uh, Analog Folk I met uh, Bill Brock and Matt Dyke and um I found that their philosophy around um uh you know creating an inclusive business like supporting parents like the the, the fact that they they treated it very much like it was their family you know yeah. uh, and everyone that works there um and so culture I thought look, this is you know a great place for me to work um I told them about everything that was going on um and they were they were really supportive actually like Billy in particular was you know sort of hugely supportive particularly when um you know I was talking to him about the the process that I was going through with you know um uh Levi and I was um you know, I'm very fortunate that they, they they did that, but they were also very open-minded about the career switch and the fact that I didn't come from a more traditional route. And, you know, ultimately their thing was always, we're looking for people with different thinkers. We're always looking for what people can add and the value that they can bring. And yeah. what we then do is, you know, we adjust. Um, it's all about creating the environment that allows those people to thrive. And I think um, what was great about, you know af and still is is that that sort of forward thinking ability i mean when they set up the business they were two you know relatively you know young men it was very easy to sort of keep that startup culture of everybody goes down the pub you know mm -hmm. kind of gets drunk that that sort of um the culture that uh, has a lot of legacy i think in our industry but they've always been quite progressive in thinking well actually that culture was probably broken a little bit um, to start off with and wasn't that inclusive but if you want to keep retaining a track great ta great talent the way you get people to form relationships to bond to work together has to mature and it has to change and has to grow with the times now not just for caregivers but actually for everybody um yeah. and so they they had a very forward-thinking attitude to that whereas um particularly in the past when I'd worked at um you know uh some other agencies especially when Levi was younger if I I you know I couldn't go down the pub uh on the Fridays because I had to go home and uh and 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 care. I had to leave early sometimes and it it caused problems in terms of actually being able to sort of integrate yourself and be a part of yeah. the agency because you can't the sort of the social rules around how people get to know each other in our industry um or back then anyway were not that inclusive i think things have moved on a little bit now but it, it takes forward thinking businesses and leaders um and i got lucky in that when i joined af they were forward thinking and talk to me then about what you needed so you were in a situation mm. levi you're finding out if he's on the spectrum and mm. going through all this change what did you yeah communicate to them that actually in order for me to be successful in this role yeah. I need what yeah it's the, the biggest thing I think um you know spe speaking from my personal perspective was just time and flexibility yeah. you know my my commitment to to my work and to what I do because I'm passionate about it that's that's never affected and you know always like any one of us actually that is a professional in what we do we give 110 percent because you want to be good at it and you want to be successful um and so um the you know that trust that well 
your intentions and your commitments are completely right. So what we can do is we can give you the autonomy really and the control over uh, you know your your time and, and where you can get involved in certain things whereas when you need to balance it um, mm -hmm. with focused family time um, but then you know the accountability and responsibility on you to sort of deliver what you can um, whilst we balance that time and that flexibility with you and so I, I think it's that it's a big mindset shift that I think has to happen more across our industry which is about uh, performance over presenteeism culture yeah. you know like you employ adults like experts you know in our in our you know in your businesses and if you have faith that you've created an inclusive culture and you've you know employ people who believe in what you're trying to do as a business and you know you value the contribution that they can provide because that's why you hired them because of that experience and expertise you need to trust people to get the job done and say to them look you decide how you want to get the job done work with others in the team to come to that kind of arrangement and we'll support whatever you you know kind of come towards and you know you build more high performing and more resilient businesses there um, rather mm. than if you're sort of forcing everybody to work within a nine to five contract being in the office all the time you know um uh it's you know that that model is it's like a post-war philosophy it's completely redundant and the last seven months actually have really proven that you know beyond the doubt in that for your business to actually be re resilient and to survive shocks you need that performance over presenteeism and that that agility and that fluidity and how you approach um like working culture and working environment and you mentioned um it a little bit in your in the previous question but about that socializing and when when you are a caregiver when you are a parent mm. for whatever reason um you're not going down the pub can you talk to me a little bit more about about that and what you've seen work where it's not that that kind of prehistoric route of connecting to to get ahead can you talk a little bit more about that yeah so what we um, and I'll talk a bit about uh, AF actually, because it's a good example yeah. of that. Because so, you know, AF, there was obviously a, a social culture and people did socialize out of work and, you know, whatever else, but there was never, you know, they actively took the decision to move away from it being a pressurized thing. It was mm -hmm. more if people electively wanted to, to, to do it than they could do. There wasn't that thing of, well, we have to go here and every, you know, everyone has to be here on a Friday night or whatever else. But um, there are, there were sort of, two ways we approached making that change to sort of a more progressive and inclusive environment for people to bond socially and the, the first one is like operationally so you really have to look at your recognition reward and progression um processes like that how that infrastructure works so is there a complete transparency around the uh roles and responsibilities and expected performance and behaviors at each level of the business um, and what people need to be demonstrating to progress to the next level, how often people are kind of checked in, what are the guidelines for assessment and be very transparent with all of that so that everybody can see everyone's path from, you know, the very junior levels up to the very senior levels and, and know what it needs to do to, what you need to do to, to make it or what, you know, what you need to contribute to the business and also yeah. how the business supports you. Um, because once you once you bake that into the system, um, you create this sort of uh, self 
sustaining self-correcting thing whereby people know that they are equally assessed for mm -hmm. their contribution relative to their peers. Everybody knows what the benchmarks are, but more importantly, line managers know where they should be focusing development equitably so that, you know, some people aren't getting necessarily the profile or the attention which leading to more opportunities simply because they're socializing more with others, mm -hmm. but actually because everybody's being scored and marked and supported on the same set of criteria that everyone knows. So I think that's a big part of it operationally. Then the other thing culturally is realizing that people are very uh, sort of complex intersectional kind of human beings and we have a lot of dimensions and interests and passions uh, with each other and encouraging people to bring some of that, you know. So if someone is interested in photography or, you know, kind of sewing or baking, like we, we are we're really active in saying, all right, set up a club, like find out who else mm -hmm. in the business is interested in that, you know, and, um, you know, whether it's like running or whatever else. And like, I think that that can't be understated because one, it, it sort of serves the purpose of everybody feeling like they, they own part of the culture of the business, you know, genuinely because yeah. they can bring themselves. It bonds people together in, in lots of different ways because people often have multiple shared interests and suddenly they're socializing and talking with people they normally wouldn't do over an area of common passion or, yeah. you know, sort of uh, fascination. And, you know, a lot of those things like the you know, Kate club was huge. Uh, and you know, it was one of those things that people would do regularly. Like you, you, you can do that at home, have that, you know, in the afternoon during where everyone kind of gets together for just take that five minute break for a cup of tea, a, a cake. It sounds really simple, but the people that are interested in it suddenly start chatting with each other and then they form this social group and you can connect someone from you know RFD who was interested in baking down to a junior person in the data science team and they start talking to each other and then that forms an actual bond and a relationship where they talk outside of that situation um, and we even had some of those clubs where people were just connecting at weekends you know whether it was a, the running club or you know um, there was a group that were doing a what's the thing like you know board games uh, yeah. And yeah, that was a whole other group. So I think it's those two elements. One is making sure that your your system is fair and equitable for people yeah. to progress and get recognized and rewarded. But then the other part is actually encouraging people to bring what makes themselves to work mm -hmm. and encouraging them to share that with others, you know, in a safe and inclusive environment. And with that, so that that's, um, I actually really want to just share that with our clients because mm. it's something mm. that we're, um, we're thinking a lot more about is there is this massive culture about drinking in yeah. your industry and recruitment industry and it's how do you start kind of break that habit um and offer up things so yeah it being more self-driven is great so you were at analog for how many years did you say uh it was just about it was about four years yeah. four years mm. and during that time was did things kind of did you find a groove with Levi and juggling like how did you kind of find that period yeah it got um as I said the the flexibility that I was fortunate the business gave and it gave to a lot of working you know um parents or caregivers or actually um anybody really we, yeah. we were really active in sort of just giving people that trust ultimately is what it comes down to um you you get into the pattern I mean it helps as you know Levi became older and he gets more independent and 
you know, we went through um, those assessment, uh, that assessment situation and, you know, nothing was sort of confirmed as him having any of the, you know, characteristics that sit on the, the sort of autism spectrum or like it was, you know, that, that period um, we went through and he appeared to settle a little bit more in, in mm. school. I think my, my being present in the country more, but also being able to give him more time, you know, for things like pickups or, you know, for um, making it to like the football game that he might have yeah. on a Wednesday afternoon, like that helps to settle him and the routine and sort of the, the kind of anchoring in them. So we did, we got into this, we got into this groove and I think, you know, there's an interesting thing when you're the main caregiver, and I, I spoke to my mum about this because she remembers it was a similar experience whereby it's like a symbiotic. I mean, you talk about the kids as being your dependent, but it's actually a bit of a symbiotic relationship really? where you end up being a bit more of a partnership. Like you end up sort of supporting each other a little bit emotionally, but then, you know, he starts to become more active in trying to help out with things around the house. And, you know, like it's, it's, um, yeah, it, it brings you very close, you know, and I know everyone's close to their parents, but I think there's a there's a different dynamic where actually you become partners and, you know, sort of mm -hmm. like accomplices to work through stuff together. And was he aware of your situation? Was he aware of the changes that you were going through at work? Or was he just like, my daddy's here when he's here? And, and did he understand what was going on? Yeah, he knew he knew some of it. I remember when um, because uh, I I. I've always tried to sort of make sure that he, you know, without worrying him too much, that he knew what was happening so that like he feels um, involved in a decision, you know, not to put the pressure on him, but just so that like, because his you know, parts of his life has been, you know, a bit disruptive, like he doesn't feel like things are happening to him, but there's some awareness that he has of it all. And I do remember when I would switch jobs, when I moved from, kind of um AF and then on to engine like he would he would always go what what happened there like I mean is everything okay like how was work like like a concerned like the same questions I would get from my mom so yeah. like a concerned parent going like what why like are you thinking about job security and stuff here and I'm like yeah I know <laughs> I know you're just looking out for me but I'm this is why yeah. I'm making this decision but um I, I would bring him into work quite a bit um yeah. at, at AF and we were like you know the again they were great at encouraging that to happen. So, you know, he, um, you know, he, he knew everybody in, in the office there. And, you know, we, um, um, he was quite accustomed to sort of uh, seeing me in the working environment and understanding what the job was. Um, and I think that's, that's actually super important um, yeah. because it's, again, it's that imprinting thing of seeing your parent in a working capacity can only help you with your own um uh, ambition and self-esteem actually you know as you sort of grow I know it, it did for me as a child when I sort of yeah. you know saw my mum in a working capacity and and you know she would take me into work or um you know I'd, I'd meet her colleagues and, and and learn about what they did yeah and maybe that's twofold because it gives visibility to more junior people in your company as well that yeah. it's possible so that they see the longevity do you think a hundred percent yeah a hundred percent I think um there's a it's so important that leaders have that uh openness uh you know whether we call it vulnerability or transparency and that you know they are representative and demonstrating inclusive 
behaviors because yeah. organizations are really a reflection of their leadership you know if you 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 know you steer the direction of things and so um everything that you model or you demonstrate then exists into you know the, the sort of wider environment and it it it's more than i think just a a sort of uh, intuitively good thing to do i it, for me it's, it's just generally business critical like if if you uh, a lot of what we do is about the the skills and the knowledge and the expertise that our people have that's that's literally our our product particularly in the marketing industry. and people's life situations change um or you know like you need to make sure that you are creating an environment that's inclusive enough to bring in great talent even though their life situation may be different to the majority of other say people in in, in your business and so the reason leaders need to represent and model that inclusive behavior is because it encourages not just juniors but everyone across the business yeah. to feel that there is a there's a place for them that they can be successful that we adjust to what's happening to people um you know within uh within their lives that you know if you are you know because i remember when i was a lot younger and going for interviews as i was looking to move um from like junior to senior pm and having that sense of anxiety when you have to tell people i'm a working parent so what flexibility is there around my time because even in that interview you you know that you were you like you were nailing it you'd sort of got the like you'd answer the questions right you impress them with your experience but then comes that question around like is there anything that you know you need to you want to share or you want to sort of talk through around personal circumstance or questions and a couple of interviews being in saying that and just watching you could suddenly see that all of a sudden you were no longer a viable candidate and yeah it's like, well, if you if you know i can add to the business you know the flexibility around my time is actually a minor thing comparatively to what i can bring and i think it's important that businesses realize that you know hanging on attracting and retaining brilliant talent and progressing it is is vital to your business being successful and so you need to demonstrate and and model that inclusive behavior because the whole business then starts to adopt and become that that an inclusive organism in that sense and it will only lead to business success yeah and is that something that you've brought to your role at engine do you feel like you've been able to implement that kind of strategy we're working on it well so we yeah. um we uh what's really good about engine is that you know that uh desire and drive for inclusivity is being led from the very top from Jim you know who's our, our group CEO and he's a he's a very very big believer in that performance over presenteeism and fluid working and you know he was he was doing everything from uh the operational things around our on our IT infrastructure to the sort of cultural messaging and you know behavior demonstration that I mentioned before like a year before we were in the situation we were in now so when we had to make the switch as a you know as a business like everyone else it was actually relatively easy for us because people already knew that that's what you know that was the business's philosophy around flexibility and remote working and you know trusting people that they'll 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 do the right thing in the interests of themselves and the business and clients without the leadership having to sort of stand over them you know again like that factory floor mentality of like you know you watch the workers because they're always yeah. trying to 
cheat the business or the system. People just don't do that. You know, most people want to work and enjoy the work they do and feel like they're adding value. You know, it's, um, it's a sort of bizarre legacy psychology that, you know, workers are always trying to con the business they work in because yeah. the majority of people are not trying to do that at all. They're just trying to do a good job. Simple as that, you know. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, Jim's been pushing it. Like we have all the CEOs across the business um united on that front and so um yeah we we're working on it it's never a completed uh it's something that you have to keep working on i think you can yeah. never at any point go right we've created this inclusive environment it's it's an ongoing thing the similar way that you look at any actual strategic initiative within your business be that how you grow the business how you um how you market it how you build new services or whatever else you know creating an inclusive environment is a say you have to take it with the same strategic approach that it's the long term and yeah. it's continual but it will deliver its own value so we're putting as so we sort of put all the operational things and the cultural things in place to encourage that support um for for caregivers for parents but just if you design for that level of inclusivity it works for everyone you know that that's the thing and you suddenly create a much more agile and resilient um business and it's um it makes me chuckle a little bit about you know when you think the last few years um you know, i definitely remember being on dni panels and they would be talking about remote workers in particular like you know whether it's like working mothers or, or caregivers and you'd have so many or they say, say it's a logistical challenge because people need to be here in the yeah. office and working together I do remember being on one panel saying that's because you don't see your people as critical to your business value. If you had a client that was saying to you, here's 2 million quid or whatever it is, but I will only be in your office three days a week. The other two days I'm going to be on the phone or I might not be available here and here and there. There's not a single business that would turn down that that client or that money because of the clients available. I've never heard that said. And, you know, you know, there are some pretty outrageous demands that are put on an agency or a business to respond to sort of client structures. We accommodate all of them and we solve all of them because we yeah. see the value in it, but we don't see the value in the actual people that are the thing that we provide. Um, and if we saw that business value, then you wouldn't be thinking of it as a trade-off. You'd be thinking as a necessity to support yeah. and accommodate people doing the work. But, you know, all those businesses said that, like within two weeks, everybody just moved to it, um, which is both frustrating and amusing because it just shows that it was a will yeah. rather than an actual um, logistical challenge. It was just people's desire to embrace change and be progressive. It's as simple as yeah. that. So do you see this period as accelerating a lot of, and you think more people will adopt these kind of practices moving forward? Yeah, I, th I think so. I mean, there's, um, there are so many reasons why it makes uh, sense. As I, as I said, like if you give, there's an intrinsic thing around the trust that you place, you know, in your team and your employees to recognize the value they give to the business and go, I, I understand that value exchange. And so we'll give you the autonomy and the flexibility around your time. And it's a, it's a mutual relationship. It's not, mm. you know, the business, oh, we're paying your salary. So we expect you to do this for us. The understanding that value exchange will lead to yeah. more loyal, more motivated, you know, higher performing 
employees. I think it will, particularly for the creative industries, it allows us to tap into so much talent because where we existed before, everything was very London-centric, very you know, presenteeism, presenteeism in the office. Now, inviably, you could work with the best person at any particular skill set or expertise anywhere in the country because you've yeah. set your infrastructure up to do that, which is a, a huge competitive advantage when it comes to communications and to creativity. Um, so, you know, it kind of almost gives you a bit like limitless potential as to who you want to, mm. um, you know, who you want to work with. And then, you know, if, if you're a really hard nosed commercial person, there's a massive financial advantage to having a smaller, a smaller building and just having more fluidity and remoteness in how people work. Yeah. I mean, it's a, there are a lot of businesses that are evaluating that going, you know, we're paying millions for a massive office. Do we need to do that? And then we could pay yeah. our people more. We could invest more in our business, which ultimately will lead to our more success for us in the long term than having a seven story building with marble floors you know <laughs> it's like, so uh, I, I like and, and that's just a few but there are so many reasons why yeah. what's happening now needs to be given serious consideration as to how businesses operate in the future and again i think the forward thinking ones will realize yes people do need a space where they feel they can uh drop in and communicate with each other um but baking in as i said that performance of a presenteeism and accepting fluidity of working and, and ultimately trusting uh, your workers and understanding that value exchange between the business and the people that work in the business, I think will become sort of pivotal to the strategic success of future businesses. Yeah, I love it. Nuggets of wisdom on this call. Because <laughs> <laughs> so I, I guess um, at the beginning of the this interview you mentioned that you partner with various different um, organizations and one of the things that I've really been thinking about when speaking to people about this topic is not and you obviously realized it when you were at interview stage not every business is offering this so it mm -hmm. but those businesses that aren't there are other places that you can maybe get this mentorship you can get the support so could you talk a little bit more about those businesses that you're a part of and, and how people can access yeah. them yeah, sure. Um, so um, I guess I'll start with um, the the organisations that I work with that focus on um, uh, gender equality and mm -hmm. uh, equity. So that's uh, Creative Equals, um, which is focused on the uh, creative uh, industries. You, you can search for all of them uh on the internet like they their top profiles are all there but creative equals offer a number of things they offer mentoring they offer also offer uh leadership development programs so if people are looking to progress ahead like what are the sort of core uh skills or expertise you need uh to support your progression the most important thing as well as the network the mentoring is is the network you know so through all the other members of uh creative equals and she says, which is a similar organization in the um, in the uh, in the creative industry space is being able to connect to other like minded individuals, whereby there is a shared experience um, like insight into how people peers really like mm -hmm. peer to peer mentoring is incredibly powerful. And so how other people are overcoming 
challenges um, or, you know, just understanding fundamentally that you're not the only person and being able to have that, that connection to others uh, and support each other, I think are, are big parts of why those organisations are brilliant, as well as the operational things around the, the mentoring um, that they offer. And then um, We Are Stripes and Culture Heroes is the two organisations that I was um, I'm the co-founder of. Um, and they're looking really at sort of ethnically underrepresented uh, communities and talent in the creative industries. And, and We Are Stripes focuses on um, access and entry and mentoring for junior and entry level people, um, particularly where um, knowledge of the creative industries isn't something that people might have sort of first-hand experience or exposure to, um, you know, looking at how, how businesses create more inclusive um, recruitment practices. Because yeah. uh, ultimately, you know, there's so much research around diverse talent being important to business success. And so it's looking at how you, you know, how, how do you just bring more rich, diverse, underrepresented talent into your business to, yeah. to add to its value. Uh, and then Culture Heroes is really looking at how you help support that progression up to leadership. So uh, again, um, how do you develop leaders? Like what's the, um, what's the learning and development that you're putting in place to help people acquire leadership skills? Because you're quite often, similar to my own journey, when you go through to be an expert in a practice like project management or production, and you suddenly want to move into a leadership role, there are lots of other things that come into play from like team management to managing your PL to you know marketing, new business development. And nobody trains you on any of those things. Um, if you're lucky and the odds have been stacked in your favor and you've had some privilege, you might have had exposure to them. So you'll have a bit of a head start. But um, uh, Culture Heroes focus on giving people those foundational elements that are required when you move into that executive leadership. And so it just means people have knowledge, foundational knowledge, as I said, and confidence ultimately to then start focusing on performing and delivering as leaders um, yeah. and the playing field is fairer. Uh, but then also we provide mentoring as well for people on, on both on their leadership journey and when they're in a leadership position. And how do people reach out to those? those uh, so um, we are um and uh, cultureheroes.org. Uh, um, similar thing with uh, creative equals and and she says uh, quick google search and you'll you'll be straight there um and then you can apply to be a mentor to be a mentee uh, sign up to um any one of the other programs or you know initiatives or, or services that they provide um and all of those you know all of those places are always looking for partners or allies so you know if if people are listening to this and actually they don't fit into any of those groups, but you're an organization that think I want to do something to help, they need help, you know, and it's not always just here's money and investment. Sometimes it can just be resources. You know, we have, you know, there's always something you have that you can give somebody that will be useful, whether it's marketing expertise or whether it's, you know, how, how do they scale their businesses and their services? So um, yeah, just, I just encourage people to get involved. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much. I love this right. conversation. I could have kept on going. I've got like, <laughs> <laughs> so many more, but we've been yeah. speaking for an hour, so I will let yeah. you go. A huge thank you to Ete Davies. If you want to find out more about Ete and the work he's doing at Engine or any of the initiatives he mentioned, 
These will all be linked in our show notes or can be found via our website. See you next week for another episode of Life in Digital.